0: Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 51st episode of our podcast, I interviewed Nalanjana Bomek, general partner at Converge, an early stage venture firm based in Cambridge that she co-founded with her partner, Maya Heyman. Nalanjana has over 23 years of experience as a venture capitalist, investment banker, and an operating executive. Prior to starting Converge, Nalanjana was a general partner at Longworth Venture Partners, where she led the firm's investments in enterprise tech. In addition to her current role as a venture capitalist, she is also the president of Thai Boston, an organization that fosters the entrepreneurial scene in the greater Boston area. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like her passion for distance running and how that relates to her role as an investor, where she's helping entrepreneurs build a business, and that is ultimately a marathon and not a sprint. Her background growing up in India, plus how she came to the U.S. where she was ultimately playing a key role in helping object design, a company that launched the first object-oriented database, grow to the point of going public, what led her to take on the role of president at Ty Boston and the details of this organization, the potential 50-plus-year industry trend that she's currently keeping her eye on, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note, the VentureFizz job board just hit a new milestone. There are now over 4,000 positions listed across the fastest growing tech companies in Boston and New York City. Don't put your career on hold. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash jobs to start exploring. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Nalanjana. Nalanjana, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Good morning. I was uh, excited to chat with you because we have a lot to cover um, you know, there's so much to your background as far as what you've accomplished. But uh, before we do that, uh, I noticed while I was researching your background and all the different things that I kind of scoured before these interviews, that there, there was a mention that you have a passion for distance running. And I thought that'd be a good conversation starter because, you know, that's kind of correlated to entrepreneurship and investing, right? It's not like it's usually a marathon, not a sprint. So I was just curious as to, you know, your, your passion there for distance running.
1: Uh, Yes, it's for multiple reasons. Uh, First and foremost, it's my best way to clear my mind and be able to think clearly. So I uh, I think quite clearly when I'm running. I would love to run the marathon every year, but I probably get a marathon run in over the week. During the week. So I try to run five to six miles a day. Wow. Uh, Time is the factor, right? So if I had more time, I'd do more. Uh, But uh, so that, uh, and I try to pack it in early in the morning if Mm. I can. So it's a good start to the day, clears your head for the day, and gives you that, uh, you know, adrenaline to keep you going for the rest of the day. So, uh, and you brought up a fantastic analogy, you know, our business is all about the marathon, it's seldom a sprint, it is most often a marathon Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's a good mental frame to be in that it's about uh you know it's about and it's also i think it's not just uh, that the distance running i think it's also really embeds in you that um, deep understanding that it's also about the journey and not just about the destination there in fact is no destination right when you're building a company Uh, It's milestones. IPO is just a milestone. It's just another fundraise. And uh, the strong founders and CEOs, they know that it's about continuously growing and creating value. And the value, you know, there is no end terminal point. Um, So, yeah, uh, the distance running is a very good proxy for what we do in our day-to-day business.
0: And you brought up the IPO. And it's interesting, as I've been, you know, interviewing a lot of CEOs for this podcast, you know, the the IPO is another milestone. It's another fundraising activity. And, you know, you're just getting started at that point if you're a publicly traded company. Absolutely.
1: In a way, your journey just began, you know, in a different playing field.
0: Exactly. Totally. Well, let's go way back. So uh, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in India and uh, I uh, grew up actually. So my father used to design uh, power plants, uh, hydro turbines, steam turbines. So we I, I grew up in different parts of India, and uh, you know, I grew up around uh, engineering and design, and that led to, I guess, uh, my entry into uh, IIT Roorkee. And I did my undergrad in computer science. Um, I was doing some work at that time, in very early in object-oriented languages, and uh, wrote a C++ compiler for my undergrad thesis, which led to a graduate program here in the United States uh, in South Carolina, where um, a professor was doing a lot of research in object-oriented languages. I did my master's there uh, and then uh, ended up publishing that thesis, which then brought me to uh, Boston to object design, which was the world's first object-oriented database. Uh, so that's uh, that's how so that was, connect. Was
0: that, I like I remember the company, actually, because... I was involved in the tech scene back then. Right. And so, was this even like you said the first? So, this was before like Oracle had their own relational database? Like- well, Oracle
1: was a relational database. So, Object Store was the first object oriented database. So, today that whole concept of object oriented databases has been uh, made more popular by first the NoSQL movement and then uh-huh. the New SQL movement. So, underlying, you know, so uh, what's the difference? So, uh, Oracle is relational, meaning you store the data on a table. And object store or object-oriented databases are you storing the data in objects or circles that are connected through relationships? So it's a different way of representing and storing the data, which leads to faster access, you know, easier access, greater relationships that can be stored Mm -hmm. in the database. So it was a new concept pioneered by object design.
0: And so it sounds like it was very leading edge. Very Um,
1: bleeding edge. We're very bleeding edge, and uh, we, uh, our customers, uh, were were uh, financial service organizations that needed to run uh, very fast transactions, telecom switches, so the very high end of computing um, were the customers of Object Design and Object Store. And uh, you know the company was very successful. Uh, Started out as a startup here, backed by NEA and Harvard Management, and then uh, had a very fast growth. public in 1996. Alex Brown took us uh, us public uh, and then uh, I joined as an engineer uh, and then uh, very quickly uh, moved to the business side and I ran the solutions group for object design um, for all of the Americas, uh, which is about a third of the company's revenues after we had gone public. And the solutions group essentially helped our customers design their application around the database. And that was uh, so exciting, uh, exciting opportunity to see a lot of very complex applications, how they got built, how trading applications got built, you know, how switches got built. And so that was a great time.
0: And and what was the like, that that was kind of like, you know, the foundation of your career. I mean, you come out of academia and join this company that is, you know, just growing and reaches the point of an IPO. And you are a key part of executing and and building that business. So what like, what was the foundation of your career Uh, In terms of how it was built there? Uh,
1: So, I think that, you know, Object uh, Design was a very technical company. It was a very um, uh, IP rich company, uh, engineering rich company, uh, and then which also had great business success. Um, So, in terms of, you know, if I look back um, to uh, certain commonalities, I would say that in my investing career, as well as when I was an investment banker, IP rich companies, uh, you know, are more attractive to me perhaps, right? Because I see that particularly now uh, when the market is so competitive, I think if you have an order of magnitude, uh, you know, innovation that is an order of magnitude uh, above everything else that's presently, uh, available in the market, uh, which is a you know a game changer type of innovation, something brand new, uh, either something that's brand new or something that's you know a thousand times faster or a th- thousand times uh, you know easier to use. That order of magnitude innovation allows companies to sustain through many rough. Uh, shocks that come to any startup, like, you know, uh, oh, darn, we didn't quite recruit the first set of engineers correctly, or we didn't quite recruit, you know, our first sales guy correctly, and we had to swivel this way or that way. If you have very strong IP, then I think it allows you to stay and do those course, course corrections before some other, you know, competitor coming and eating your lunch. Uh, so I, I do look for uh, investments that have that, uh, you know, breakthrough potential, large company uh, formation potential, and that core innovation that allows them to stay ahead of the game uh, for a good distance. And that that time allows them to build a very large company. Got it. Uh, I so. so therefore, I, I guess a long way to say that uh, my investments have, if I look back at the type of investments I've made, they tend to be more infrastructure investments, more mm-hmm. IP-rich investments.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like we'll talk about your portfolio in a bit because it definitely is, you know, hard tech. It's not like a consumer mobile app that's trying to innovate photo sharing or something like that. It's uh, yeah. So
1: I think object design was probably in in some ways quite formative, right? Yeah. Uh, In 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 that uh, outlook to investing.
0: And and how did you get into investment banking?
1: So uh, I um, uh, went to INSEAD for my MBA, and uh, I. uh, was actually thinking of uh, coming back into an operating role. And then, uh, you know, after uh, business school is an opportunity to see what else is out there and you're suddenly considered a generalist and you can interview with anyone. So I took uh, advantage of that. And uh, Broadway really piqued my interest because I felt like, uh, okay, I knew a lot about uh how to build a business and look at the world inside out like you you know you look inside out when you're in a company you look you'd go very deep in a product and a, and a small segment of the market and then talking to broadview uh broadview at that time was uh you can think of them as a catalyst of its time 400 bankers worldwide they only did tech they only did m a and they were the premier shop uh and uh they sort of owned the tech market So what was interesting was uh, I felt like this was an opportunity to look at value creation, not just inside out, but outside in. How do you look at value creation across the market? And Broadview did that beautifully. So I felt like this is an opportunity to get, you know, that framework of how to look at markets, not just at a single company. Uh, So I joined Broadview and I... um, not only uh, uh, led M&A transactions, but because of my technical background, because of my operating uh, background, I ended up owning um, their equivalent of uh, equity research uh, at that time. Broadview uh, was known for something called market maps. We could uh, map out an entire market segment minutely, like security, like we would have an entire book on IT security and we could map out very minutely What segments were ripe for consolidation? We could predict consolidation. Uh, And that was just fantastic uh, training in really looking at market evolution. And that, I think that is uh, another thing I think that has really helped me in my investing career. So not just look at a company in isolation, but look at it really systematically as part of a broader market movement.
0: Got it, well that makes a lot of sense. Now let's talk about the next phase of your career because like, how did you get into venture?
1: Right. Uh, it's a very interesting story. So I uh, Broadview and Longworth were co-located in the same building, believe it or not, in, in Waltham. This Route 128 was the peak of venture at that time. Uh, we were on uh, Venture Hill on Winter Street.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, so I was actually advising um, informally Longworth on some of their portfolio companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, one conversation led to the other. And uh, they said, hell, hey, what, how about coming and joining us? And uh, I think I was reaching that point uh, at Broadview after a couple of years where it was time to decide, do I want to do this for the rest of my life, or is this a good view into a different world and go back into the operating world? So I, I was actually thinking of going back into the operating world uh, just because uh, I think Broadview was fantastic training, but it you can only go scratch. You know, you're sort of sc- scratching the surface. You're not going deep into anything. So I wanted to uh, get back into operating, um, into the operating world, and then uh, the conversation with Longworth uh, came about, and I th- it felt to me like a very good, um, uh, uh, in, you know, so, so it was the best of both worlds in a way. Uh, uh, it, it allowed me to go deeper, uh, and at the same time not deep into just one single innovation. It allowed me that role would allow me to continuously uh, be at the forefront of a lot of innovations and continuously learn, but at the same time, go much deeper than you do in an investment banking role. Deeper as in, you know, you're really investing in a company. Therefore, you need to know a lot about the company. You stay involved with that company's evolution. We are institutional investors that are early stage company building uh type of investment right so we don't do just one investment and then walk away we stay with that company and uh, we work to build that company so it, it was a very exciting opportunity to really uh apply everything that i had learned at object design and at broadview and apply that to the
0: investing uh, uh world and
1: uh, i am still doing it so haven't looked back
0: now, like, did you, because we talked about this a little bit earlier, as far as you, know, you were making more infrastructure, you know, enterprise type of uh, investments. So did you come into the firm and was that like your, you know, people talk about thesis investing, right? So w- was that kind of your, how you, what you set out to do or it just magically I, I
1: absolutely set out to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, broad, uh, Longworth was, you know, investing the way most venture capital firms did at that mm-hmm. time, which is you are really relying on your network to um bring you, bring in the deal flow and then you're looking at the deals and then you're sort of you know doing the work on a deal basis and i think one of the my first observations was to that there was a, a another way to approach investing which is a much more market oriented way mm-hmm. so you know that is one uh, discipline that i did bring into the firm which is two things matter it's uh you know the team absolutely matters uh, but the market matters equally Uh, The best teams in, uh, you know, in the wrong market, if they have wind against their face, uh, they, you know, they're not going to be as successful as they would be in a market where the wind was behind, uh, you know, them. So uh, that is uh, a big change that was, you know, I introduced at Longworth and uh, I think we've done very well. And uh, this uh, current fund, which uh, I helped raise and, uh, you know, was a key member of, uh, is, you know, we are uh, very excited to have some very exciting companies in that portfolio.
0: And and you did have, you know, an enormous level of success. I mean, there's multiple companies that um, you invested in that, you know, were acquired, like V yeah. vKernel, Softricity, Thor Technologies. So right. uh, Converge, so what, what what do you consider, you know, your sweet spot as far as, um, you know, the types of companies that you're investing in? Right.
1: We are B2B investors, uh, primarily. So within B2B, we are really looking at those um, markets, early markets, which may be very young and early today, that have the potential to become very large, very disruptive in five to seven years' time. So uh, you know, uh, an analogy would be, uh, if you look back now, um, cloud has become sort of ubiquitous today. But if you looked at it, you know, like I did at Longworth in 2007, uh, no one knew that that's how big it would be and even what it was, right? So that's the type of thing that we look for. What's around the corner, those markets that are just around the corner that are, uh, you know, just a sliver, barely visible, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. will be huge uh, in in, in some years. And then we uh, look for the best companies that are shaping those markets.
0: So, what are the the trends that you're noticing right now? Like, there's a lot of discussion around AI and machine learning, and sure. but what like what what trends are you following currently? Uh,
1: one one area where we are quite uh, keen on that uh, is bearing a lot of fruit is uh, a market that we think is very ripe for um, massive massive transformation, which we think is probably sort of a fifty-plus year trend, and that is the complete. Uh, rewriting of manufacturing. So manufacturing is, you know, a multi-trillion dollar industry, right? It's a it's a global uh, industry and we feel that we believe that uh, there's a confluence of technologies now like the ones you mentioned, robotics, uh, edge computing, uh, additive manufacturing, uh, that are bringing about probably the biggest transformation uh, in manufacturing since the Industrial Revolution. And why is that happening? Because the technologies can finally be implemented today at scale. Uh, number one, but more importantly, because there is a worldwide, uh, you know, uh, shortage in labor predicted. Right. So automation is an imperative, um, including in countries like China. I mean, if you follow the Chinese market closely, you'll see that. I mean, they're probably automating at a faster rate than some of the Western countries. Right. So. Um, so we believe that's a huge trend, and uh, you know we are uh, investing behind that trend, uh, amongst other ones. But that's one example of the of the type of investments we're making.
0: Now you already touched upon this a bit, um, but you know, what what do you look for when it comes to making an investment? You talked about you know the team is of course important, the market opportunity is important as far as having the wind at your back. But what else are you? What other you know criteria are you looking for?
1: We go quite early. Right, so we are not doing cash flow analysis and uh, right. you know, EBITDA analysis. Right. Uh, oftentimes, there is no cash flow right. when we go in. Right, so
0: it's a big those, bet.
1: Right, it's a big bet. I I would say team on the market are the are the two most important criteria, and then from there, it's sort of the you know peeling of those two onions, if you will. Uh, so how uh, we we try to calibrate now? Sometimes a, a big the uh, bane of venture investing is being too early, right? You, The market will happen, but, you know, it takes a long time. And that can be the kiss of death for the companies to just stay alive until the market happens. So it's so really peeling the onion and trying to figure out as much as you can at that very early stage, how early is this, mm-hmm. is important. And then uh, similarly, you know, uh, we uh, typically will back a team on the strength of something in that team. Oftentimes, it's a technical team, uh, and so really understanding, okay, what is this the team that will build a team around them? Is, does this is this does this team want to be augmented? Do they want us to help them augment them? Uh, how do they work with each other? Uh, the, you know, so that's peeling that onion and trying to um, bring value to help them build a company around that team is is what we do. So we are company builders, and so we take that lens of okay we have these two in- interesting ingredients now what else is needed around this to start building a company uh, and that's really what the actual work is
0: now you're a very very busy person running your own fund uh, or vc firm i should say the um, but you're also uh, recently took on the role as president of tie boston uh, which is um, very excited too. Yeah, it's exciting. Yet yeah, I'm I, like I I just must imagine your schedule is bonkers. But anyway, so uh, so what brought you to the point of of taking on that role too?
1: You know, I think it's uh, it goes back to the s- same reasons for starting Converge. Uh, entrepreneurship is thriving. It's at an all time high. You know, know, entrepreneurship is no longer restricted to either Route 128 or Cambridge or Kendall Square, right? It's thriving all the way from Lowell to, uh, you know, Dry Dock, right? So uh, at the same time, if you don't work well in the ecosystem, that uh, thriving ecosystem will not necessarily translate into the next generation of leaders of the Boston tech communities, the next generation of Akamai's and you know uh, EMCs and has. so, it is very important for the community to really work together, collaborate, and support this thriving entrepreneurship uh, to uh, nurture it, to grow it, and to keep these companies here in Boston. Uh, and uh, in that, I see, uh, I think there are three uh, ecosystem. Uh, Categories of ecosystem players that I think are very important: venture capitalists, capitalists absolutely, right. So venture capitalists have to, um, uh, you know, work with the ecosystem, be accessible, uh, deploy capital here locally, which we are big believers in. Uh, and there is a new breed of firm starting, which is uh, in in VC, which is very exciting, uh, right? Experienced investors who are leaving their firms and starting new firms with a very similar mindset that we got to build. Um, Local companies and support them locally here. So that's one. Uh, the second component is uh, organizations like Thai Boston, like Mass like Mass Challenge, uh, that are not-for-profit organizations that are either mission-driven or you know some other uh, goal-driven towards the creation of entrepreneurship and the creation of ed- STEM education or the creation of large companies. And that they play a very critical and vital role. And I think the third category is the existing large companies, uh, the Akamais and the EMCs of the world, in supporting the innovation ecosystem. Why? Because this is, uh, you know, this is their future inflow of talent. This is their future inflow of uh, fresh recruits. This is their uh, talent at the executive level as well as new hires. This is their inflow of uh, ideas to keep growing their business. This is the, you know, this is the ecosystem from which they're going to acquire companies to fuel their own innovation. So those are three players that I think have to work well and work together uh, to keep this region, um, you know, in its strong place as the forefront, you know, at the forefront of uh, of innovation and economic growth. So I saw Thai Boston as a platform that uh, is very important, uh, which. I think, um, can expand um, its reach tremendously uh, under my leadership to really have a force multiplier on uh, on its impact, really multiply the reach of the very good work that it's doing. And I can elaborate on that, if you like.
0: Yeah, I, I, please do. I mean, because Ty Boston, I, like I know it was, at least from my memory, uh, is it the Largest or second largest chapter in the U.S.?
1: It is is the second largest chapter out of Silicon Valley. Uh, It's a very uh, important chapter. Our members have uh, created over, you know, 250 billion, uh, 50 billion in economic growth just here. Wow. The companies that they have, you know, it's 250 billion globally, but uh, if you just look at the Boston region, that's how big its impact has been. So, you know, signature companies like Wayfair, like Natiza, like, you know, uh, Kabloom, these these have all come out of... uh, of Thai, Thai Boston uh, members. So um, you go back to why do why do this now. So I think uh, the organization uh, was started by a, a group of uh, entrepreneurs from the Indus region, from Southeast Asia, uh, initially as a uh, networking group, as a support system for each other to help them as they built build their own startups. That organization today has grown to a very big organization that is mission driven to support innovation and economic growth through entrepreneurship. So this is the only group that is by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. And we run uh, multiple programs, mentorship, education programs to create the next generation of companies here and i took the role on to really send the message that this organization today is about a very inclusive ecosystem it may have been started by executives of the in- industry region founders of the industry region but today we are uh, an organization that is very open in its membership our members are from you know entrepreneurs from any uh, background uh, and our reach of our programs is available to any entrepreneur uh, in the New New England region, uh, and you know that's that's an important message for the organization to give. And we are obviously also want to send the message that uh, we are taking a leadership role in um, making sure that we have uh, uh, equal gender representation in everything that we do. Uh, so that's the second message I think that we want to uh, send. And so it's an exciting and a, uh, and, uh, and uh, exciting time and exciting opportunity.
0: And, and I'm, I. You know, I've been involved with tie from for many, many years. Even before starting VentureFizz, I helped plan one of the the flagship conferences, which back then it was called TyCon, and it just was an amazing, amazing event. And that's still ongoing, right? That's
1: correct. We have rebranded it uh, to call it StartupCon to right. just emphasize that that's where we uh, are most active in. Uh, and yes, that uh, the next one is in May of 2019, and we, you know, we expect uh, close to a thousand attendees. Uh, it has. Uh, it'll have a a set of tracks that will be very uh, topical uh, and then obviously marquee speakers, which is our signature.
0: Well, Ty has been just the, you know, an anchor of what makes the Boston tech scene so great with all the different programs and resources available for entrepreneurs. So they're, they're very lucky to have you at, at, you know, running the organization too.
1: Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm honored and thrilled. And I think we're doing great work. We are, you know, this is about expansion, broadening, inclusion.
0: Now, just kind of thinking generally about entrepreneurship, like you, you've seen a lot of um, founders, you know, pitching to you and then you've made lots of investments. So w- what are those like common lessons learned that you'd want to pass along to entrepreneurs, you know, common mistakes or you know, things that, you know, just from doing this for as long as you have that you've noticed?
1: Yeah, you know, to a, uh, entrepreneur that's just starting out my first uh, advice would be uh, the in do the inverse of what might come instinctively to them many entrepreneurs make the mistake of oh I have an idea I, I really don't want to talk about this to too many people because what if someone else copies it and it's mm. uh, I would say you have to do the opposite of that It's a very common mistake you need to talk to as many people as possible to really do two things, flush out your own thinking and your own plan, and two, uh, hear whether you're talking to yourself or you actually are onto something that is potentially big. Ideas are dime a dozen. Success is not about the idea. Success is about really staying with the idea and executing. And that is a very tall order. So, you know, that's why entrepreneurship is hard. That's why starting a company is hard. And that's why so few people succeed because it is a difficult undertaking. It takes time. And so the last thing you have to worry about is oh, five other people will take my idea, run with it, start a company, raise the money, you know, have the sleepless nights, put up their house for mortgage, da 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 da, right? <laughs> so that, that, <laughs> uh, so don't, don't worry about it. You know, it's more important that you really uh, uh, flush out your thinking, bring in other people into your idea. This is a great way to find your co-founders, you know, find uh, people who can be potential investors in your company, people who can be, you know, downstream advisors to you. So uh, first advice is uh, talk to as many people as you can.
0: Because otherwise you're building your uh, product in a vacuum where you just exactly. think, yeah, like if you're not, I mean, I guess probably the worst case scenario is you build it and no one buys it, right? Like there's exactly. just no, it's not solving a pain. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: All those reasons. Right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just uh, there is that fear of oh my god, I can't I can't share this with people because someone's going to steal it. But yeah, the right. the execution piece is just a whole different ballgame. Right. Like the, the Boston ecosystem. Like what's like what's what's exciting you about you know the current state of uh, what's happening in in the tech ecosystem of Boston?
1: Yeah, I have to say you know I have been in Boston since 1994, and this is. Probably for me the most exciting time. Uh, why? Because uh, you know, tech entrepreneurship today is not a small niche industry anymore, right? So tech is permeating everything, uh, every industry from as I, you know we talked about manufacturing to food to climate to health to everything. And so, the first the industry has expanded m- multiple folds. Um, so that's just the size. So what that means is it's brought in a lot of new people into the industry and that's very exciting. You know, people who have come in with different perspectives, these are not, you know, our industry is not just, uh, you know, computer scientists and electrical engineers anymore. You know, we have specialists in uh, every field, every domain that are starting companies. And so that's very exciting. And that means that the, uh, the scope of what this industry can do, can achieve has increased dramatically. Right, so the impact of the tech industry now is bigger than ever before. I mean, Amazon bought Whole Foods, right? That just tells you how, how important this industry has become. And Boston uh, is uh, exciting because you know you can see the um, you can see the multi multi factor growth in the number of uh, entrepreneurs that are going after that opportunity. Uh, the different ecosystem players who have come in to support that you know i think the um, the mayor's office the governor's office has has done a great job in in really fueling uh, and supporting um, the ecosystem i think that's paying off uh, great results for boston Uh, so for so for me i think this is like a a fantastic moment to create uh, the next generation of great companies here in boston keep them here create uh, you know uh, uh, thousands of jobs in a, in a in a sector of the economy that's uh you know that's driving driving growth driving the, the biggest growth among, uh, of all sectors right
0: now it's been exciting especially because uh now that the IPO window seems to be open um I don't know how wide the opening is or how long it will still stay open hopefully for a long time uh, but you know you know car gurus you know went public uh right. ever quotes uh, so you're seeing these public offerings from companies in Boston. So that's finally getting to the point where, you know, these, you know, it's not the quick sale or the, you know, could have gone public, filed an S one, was acquired by Oracle or somebody. Right. Um, so h- how does Boston build more of those, you know, anchor companies that have that long-standing longevity of, you know, the thousands of jobs like the EMCs or maybe right. they're a bad example because now they're owned by Dell, but um, you know, an Akamai or Wayfair. HubSpot. Right.
1: Absolutely. I, as I said, I think that the role of early stage institutional in, investors is absolutely critical because that's the stage. That's the difference between an idea. I have raised a couple of uh, you know, million and now what do I do? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I do? Do I move to California for capital? There's no money left here. If you don't address it at that stage where you make that that company a real viable company, you'll never get to the EMC Level or the Akamai level, so I think it is vitally important that that early stage institutional capital that knows how to build companies comes back to Boston, stays in Boston, supports Boston, and from there it's these other ecosystem players, right, that are helping you support uh, that company formation through greater education, greater mentoring, greater talent creation. Uh, so I think uh, those are the elements we talked about that earlier. But I think uh, you know, I think we have all those elements. Those those key stakeholders are working very well with each other. Uh, and uh, so we will see, I'm, I'm very confident that we will see a, a great set of next uh, generation big companies that'll, that'll be Boston made, built in Boston.
0: <laughs> so uh, outside of your portfolio, is there a, a company that people should keep an eye on?
1: It's an interesting question. You know, I... I Think you might expect me to name a startup company, but I—the one that I'm actually curious about—is—is uh, is a big company, uh, and uh, it's actually Akamai. Uh, maybe because I, I uh, watch that market quite closely, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Akamai has been a very interesting story. Obviously, a great success story for Boston. Right, started out uh, as a, as a CDN uh, and then uh, has really diversified its business tremendously. There is a the reason I bring it up is there is a big uh, interesting uh, evolution in the market from cloud to the edge. Yep. Right. So cloud was all about centralize everything. Uh, And now uh, we are seeing uh, uh, an interesting evolution towards pushing a lot of computing to the very edge. Why? Because you need very fast access. I mean, you know, even your refrigerator is talking to the internet, right? And so speed has become an agility driven by IoT. These sensors need to understand, uh, need to calculate very quickly, and they can do the round trip to the cloud. That's what we mean by edge computing. How do you Compute at the edges of the network, right on my refrigerator, so my refrigerator can, you know, act very fast without having to go to the cloud and come back. So it'll be very interesting to see what a company that has built uh, its business in the uh, network overlay, uh, you know, do they uh, do they make a big business out of edge? Uh, do they jump on that innovation? Do they innovate from within? Do they acquire? Uh, or does someone else come in and, you know, take that prize away or perhaps a startup that comes and displaces them? So that'll be that's an interesting one that I'm watching.
0: Very interesting. Well, you know, Akamai obviously is a anchor flagship tech company in the Boston tech ecosystem. Although I bet you very few people truly understand what they do to the degree and depth that they do it, because I think people know that they you know help with the performance and speed of websites. But that is such a fraction. And. I think what's interesting about that piece of the puzzle is how large of the internet traffic that goes through Akamai is extraordinary, right. and then these other other functional areas that they're building around. Like, so um, I wish Akamai spent more time kind of pumping up their own tires and just bragging how much yes. innovation and what their technology is doing for everybody, not just businesses and enterprises, but consumers.
1: Yes, you're so right. You know, our Boston strength is that we do that type of technology so well. I mean, robotics, we are the center of robotics, right? Yeah. Every interesting robotics company uh, is built here, was built here. We are the center of additive manufacturing. Every interesting 3D printing company started here or is right. being built here. Uh, and we don't, uh, we don't brag about it. Uh, simplify it and talk about it enough. I think, right. sort of you know, sometimes consumer businesses are easier to understand, so you don't have to, you know, simplify it. But uh, you're absolutely right. I think we need to talk about our companies. Uh, we have a lot. We create tremendous value. We we need to talk about it more and simplify it so uh, people understand the good work that these companies are doing.
0: So true. I mean, it's just, it's a common common trait of just the Boston mindset where, you know, this conversations, you know, this, this is a fault that everyone recognizes and people have recognized people have tried different branding efforts. We need to brand ourselves, but you know, I think it's just, you know, companies uh, taking ownership and just, you know, really being, um, you know, just, it's okay to brag a little bit, right? Like, I've noticed another trend which I'm applauding is companies are starting to include their valuations in their press releases when they ha- announce funding. Like, Toast just did this.
1: That's right. And it's
0: like, good for them. Like, they should brag that they are a yeah, unicorn, right? Be a
1: little less understated and humble. Yeah, we're
0: building, we're building a big company here and let's talk about it. Where every company in the Valley of New York is like, yep, we're a unicorn. And, you know, so I'm, I'm applauding companies like Toast for doing that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us here. I appreciate your time. This was great. Thanks for all your words of wisdom and advice for entrepreneurs.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. It was a great pleasure to talk to you, Keith. And uh, you have a great program.
0: I I listen to it quite regularly. Well, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. (laughs)